When he hit five consecutive wins earlier this year, Seb Vettel sent him a message saying, uh, you can do it, go on, go for the nine, which I thought was really nice. At the start of the year, he was in such a good place. And I think you could see coming away from Zandvoort, he was back in that place again. Lawrence, do you think that Lawson's result stems from brushing shoulders with Paddock Royalty uh, the day before being put in the car? <laughs> it must be, it must be. Welcome to Unlapped, Katie George, Florence Edmondson, Nate Saunders. The boys have moved on to Monza, but we, of course, are going to get their thoughts on Zandvoort because it seemed to be an extremely uneventful, boring race that nobody really wanted to attend. No one will ever look back on and remember in history. Oh, my gosh, that thing was bonkers. I need your all's takeaways. We're obviously going to get into the biggest storylines that came out of it. But just overall, Lawrence, what was it like on the ground? It was fantastic. Um, I hope it came across on TV. The emotion, the passion, the bouncing around, the electronic dance music that goes into having a Zandvoort race event because it is just unlike anything else. And I think um, F1 have tried to replicate that at other tracks, and it just doesn't work because you need the Dutch there. <laughs> That's the you know that is the key ingredient is the Dutch uh, to make it into this uh, this fantastic four day or three day party. Um, and the other thing to take away from it, I think, was that. A bit of rain at the end of the race, a bit of rain at the start of the race, um, you know, mix those two in and you uh, you can still have a fantastic race, even if there's one guy who is clearly a class above everyone else. Um, so it, it was great. And also kind of dispelled this belief uh, that existed, certainly when Zavort first came onto the calendar, that it's no good for passing because we just had so many overtakes. I think I saw somewhere in our show note there was a record. Uh, I'll, I'll dig it yeah. or one of you guys can dig it out. Um yeah, and it was just like action throughout. And okay, it really looked like Max wasn't going to win, but um, but there was enough action going on elsewhere and enough of a chance of rain and what that might do that Max had to work really hard for that one. You nailed it. It was the most overtakes all time in any race with 186 overtakes, which is just mind boggling. That's 16 more than China in 2016. Nate, how did it feel witnessing it all play out? It was kind of hard to keep track of what was going on, to be honest, because especially <laughs> those first few laps, it was it was great because you basically had obviously everyone coming into pit. You had Perez pitting and then was out in the lead. And for a second, you thought, well, this looks like Perez is to lose. We know how that played out in the end. You know, it very much was a lead. He lost very, very quickly. But yeah, it was it was really chaotic. And there was I think what always makes a great Formula One race is when there's real jeopardy about the win. And, you know, and. If you're not sure, I, th I think I think Lawrence is kind of spot on in that you didn't ever feel like Verstappen was completely losing the race, but there did feel like for a few spells during the race that his win was really under threat, and we haven't seen that that often. I think just the last time we saw it come close, you know, in those conditions was Monaco. Um, but yeah, just fantastic. And I think as well, what was great about it is you know, the fans, to their credit, you know, they sat through two absolute deluges of rain either end of the race, and still by the end of the race, obviously their guy had won. Just an amazing atmosphere from start to finish. So full credit to the Dutch fans. Um, and you can just see how popular Max is in his home country. I think for Lawrence and I, we both grew up in the UK. And, you know, we've seen firsthand how big Lewis became from 2007 onwards. But you can really see the same with Max. And it's just, you know, everything there. It, you know, it might as well be the Verstappen Grand Prix. They might as well just be that blatant about it when they name it. Um, but it's, it's just really cool to see. And the, the Dutch fans were just, a, yeah, they were, you know, real credit to um to themselves so i loved it and um yeah i think i think probably contender for one of the races of the year so far so that's always a good thing has to be i would say probably up there definitely top three it was max's ninth consecutive race tying sebastian vettel's all-time record his dominant record-breaking season obviously continues with a win at his home race which was mega and, and lawrence to your point i think that came across on television as you were a viewer who wasn't on the ground being able to watch that and you could see the energy and the passion and it it made you want to be there like you felt like you were missing out on something which I, I think formula one obviously hopes to achieve with more and more races on each calendar every single season max is now looking to make it 10 in a row at monza uh, and claim sole possession of the all-time consecutive race wins record when we spoke last week, Lawrence, you said, you know, you didn't know if it would really register with Max. He's not one to really, you know, make a big to do about records or breaking them for that matter. What did you get a sense of from him after the win? 
I think, um, yeah, definitely registered. And he obviously he was asked about it. Uh, one of the interesting things he said was that when he hit five consecutive wins earlier this year, Seb Vettel sent him a message saying, uh, you can do it, go on, go for the nine, which I thought was really nice. So like, yeah. you you might imagine that Seb was there like, ah, oh, damn it, someone's joined me on this nine wins. And you think of all the records that Seb got um, during his career and, and quite a few of them have fallen Max's way because he was that little bit younger coming through. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it did, it did mean something to him. He said he doesn't think about it. He doesn't go into race weekends thinking, oh, you know, this is, this is the one that's going to match Sebastian's <laughs> record. Uh, he goes through every session, just kind of figuring out what needs to change on the car into the next practice session, what they'll do in qualifying, what they'll do in the race, uh, during the race, he's just thinking about, you know, gaps behind forward, what they're going to do with strategy. So it's not playing on his mind. I don't think, and I don't think he would have been terribly upset had he not got it but then having having got it you know i think just the reality of winning nine formula one races in a row um whether that's a record or not that is an incredible achievement because it requires this consistency and and he even pointed out that you know other teams have had dominant cars and not been able to do it and i think that was a little i don't know i don't think it was a nasty dig but it was a little kind of pointer to lewis of course lewis had that period of dominance with Mercedes and never quite got it together. Now, I'm sure Lewis fans will say, well, he always had a more competitive teammate and there's all sorts of reasons that you could point to a number of reliability issues. You could report, <laughs> point to Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton crashing into each other in Spain in 2016. You know, there, there are there are many examples of, of where he, uh, you know, where he probably faced more challenges, but it still is very impressive. And um, another person who commented on how impressive it was, was Fernando Alonso, who of course finished second and was sat next to him in the post-race press conference and said, you know, I think it's often underestimated uh, what it takes to win, even when you have the fastest car, which undoubtedly Max has, to get it all together every weekend at that level with all the stuff that gets thrown at you during a Grand Prix, especially that one with the weather, and then still come out on top and still come out on top convincingly um, nine times in a row is is very, very impressive. So um, I'm not bent against him to do 10 uh, by you guys, but uh, you know, it seems, seems very, very likely, but but it shouldn't be underestimated what he's achieved. Yeah. yeah, the consistency is just unmatched, clearly. And we'll get into some more records that are, are currently on the line. And just on that quickly, I mean, I, I did some digging into this at the weekend. So when Max went into that, that season against Lewis, 2021 as champion, he had 10 career victories to his name. So in the space of a couple months this year, you know, and this weekend he could get that 10th in a row. Just shows you how how rare it is to get that many wins under your belt. I mean, one thing that when Lewis was winning all those races and you know, moved past Schumacher, you realize when somebody has a dominant car, they can really rack up those wins quickly. But Max, you know, right now you look at the trajectory of it and you just start to think like this, this is one record he's on the cusp of breaking. But I mean, amazing to think in two and a half years where he might be in terms of all of these statistics, because he's, I think he's up to 45 wins now. And you've got Prost next on the all-time list, then Vettel, then there's a big gap, then Schumacher. And already you start to look at it and you think, well, this guy could in the future be challenging these records before he's even 30, which I think is a huge testament to him because, you know, he's obviously got a great car, but he's delivering just every weekend. So just amazing to watch and really kind of, you feel really lucky as a journalist to be, to be watching it as well, because you don't always mm -hmm. see moments like this in sports. So let's stick with the trajectory. Have you remembered, can you remember or think of a driver of the past with this kind of meteoric rise in such a short amount of time so early on in their career? I don't know if there's been that many drivers as convincing um, mm -hmm. as Max. I think it became very clear very early on with Max that he, he was very good. Of course, Lewis Hamilton, you know, went straight into a car that was capable of fighting for a championship and missed out on the championship in 2007 by a single point, tied with Fernando Alonso, who at the time was, a two-time world champion, having won in 2005, 2006. That was really impressive because it was a very, very competitive championship. Really, Lewis, you know, had it run again the last few races. I'm sure he would have won it because it was tiny mistakes here and there. Um, so that, I, you know, th that is as impressive. Uh, Vettel, when, you know, he first came in, we, we realised, uh, you know, he was very good. He won in a Toro Rosso at Monza, actually, in 2008. And then as soon as he got his hands on a race-winning car in, in the Red Bull, he looked very good. Uh, but even then, it was um, against Mark Webber, uh, you know, the first season where they were fighting for a championship 2010, it was very, very tight. So I think what's most impressive about Verstappen and um, is something that people really struggled to get their head around and also, unfortunately, makes the season kind of boring because we lose competition, is that he just demolishes teammates. Like, no other driver I can think of 
Um, you know, if you think of all the great drivers in the past, perhaps Michael Schumacher is the one where you had something similar. <clears throat> but so often it was loaded in his favor. You know, there were actual contracts in place that meant that he was the number one driver. And while it kind of is that way at Red Bull this year, you know, I, I think, you know, was it had it been more competitive between Checo and, and Max, then I think they would have favored Max. But, it, you know, it's just the pure performance he's able to get out of it and the way that he's demolished teammate after teammate, um, you know, with Ricardo essentially left because Max was mm-hmm. looking so good and the team was going Max's way. Uh, then Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon, and now Sergio Perez. And um, yeah, it's... It, that is on on a different level, I think. But it's um, you know, it's really hard to to, to weigh the drivers up against each other and, and know exactly who's best, who's most impressive. It's it's very much a matter of opinion. Um, I, I just hope that we get another chance to see Max uh challenged in a style that we had in 2021, because that was yeah. fantastic to watch. You know, that that I think that is undoubtedly, I don't care how big a fan you are. Um, of, of any driver, that's far more entertaining to watch than seeing someone win every every race consecutively. You don't say. You mentioned two names that bounced back remarkably well on the weekend, Fernando Alonso and Pierre Gasly. Nate, since you were on the Fernando Alonso train early on in the season and you're drinking out of a green San Pellegrino bottle at the moment of water, <laughs> I'll give you Fernando Alonso, and I want you just to recap what you saw from him. That means, Lawrence, you're on deck with Pierre Gasly, okay? It was kind of vintage Fernando, wasn't it? It was you. Know, it's, that that hype train has gone a bit quiet. You know, the Aston started out in such a great position. I guess has faded as well, but has also seen Mercedes, McLaren make those leaps before the summer break. But it was just it was a, just a great example, just a textbook example of what makes Fernando Alonso such a good driver and such an asset to that team. You know, the conditions were mixed up, and if you listen to his radio, you know, for the moment it starts raining. He's he's saying this is guys, this is an opportunity for us to get at least second. He's always thinking about that win, but it's just like he he reads the race situation so well. Um and yeah, and and we see this time and time again, just doesn't make mistakes, you know, in, in, in those key moments. And I think that you know, we you're talking about um Verstappen being a teammate killer. Fernando at the moment is making Stroll look, you know, I think ordinary is probably putting it probably putting it mildly because Stroll's just nowhere near him on a race-to-race basis. And I think in those moments, if you weren't able to get Verstappen in the car, I think Alonso's probably, and Lewis as well, is like right there as the guys you would want in that car, you know, in a competitive car in those conditions because just a different level. And I, I think it's a really good it's a really good boost for Fernando as well because I think a happy Fernando is, is what <laughs> Aston Martin wants. I think when he starts to get frustrated is maybe when we start to see the toys come out the pram a bit and maybe he starts to be a bit more sassy in some of his answers. But at the start of the year, he was in such a good place. And I think you could see coming away from Zandvoort, he was back in that place again. Not sure how the car will be in normal conditions compared to those others, but it just shows you that when there's points on the table, he's the man to get them. So it's great to see. And I hope it's, you know, I hope it's a sign of things to come because he said, he signed off. He said, we're going to win one of these eventually to Aston, which is a big, big claim to make right now, because obviously it's difficult to see anybody beating Max and Red Bull, but it shows you that he thinks he's delivering everything he can for the car. If they can just make gains and if they can just capitalize on some of these moments, you know, when Max maybe doesn't, then I think that, yeah, it's right there for the taking. So that's a great feeling for him and a great feeling for the team as well. Bit cheeky from him too on the podium, acting like he was going to knock over Max Verstappen's trophy. Uh, Lando Norris, kudos for you for returning the Hungarian Heron uh, hand-painted porcelain trophy that has been fixed. So Max Verstappen's collection is complete now, is it not? I love that as well, how careful Max was when it was delivered back to him. He like took the lid off, you know, as if it's as if you've been so giving him like a phone after you've broken it and you're like, I don't want to, I, I don't want to break it. It was quite, it was kind of yeah. funny to see that. I actually got to say that the Zandvoort trophies I thought were fantastic, you know, very, very plain, but had the, the Dutch clean. line on the front of them. Just clear. Yeah. I thought they were great. And the trophies, if, if, if every race can have trophies like Hungary and, and Zandvoort, I think we're in a good spot because yeah, a mega trophy like that just makes a great photo. Um, I think the drivers will be, that's one they'll be gutted. They don't get to keep a lot of the teams keep those. Yeah. So um, that'd be the top of my list if I, if I had one. So I want that one. It was great to see him back on the podium. Obviously that made for a fun moment, but I think it's more realistic of the two drivers we ever mentioned, Pierre Gasly or Fernando, who would be back on the podium. You'd think it'd be Fernando based on the results Austin Martin was able to get. Not really expecting quite that big of a bounce back Lawrence from Alpine and Pierre Gasly. What did you make of his weekend? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it did rather hinge on. Um, I mean, he'd been good all weekend, but it, it did kind of hinge on uh, on on pit stop at the right time dur- during the rain. But they got that right. And you know, if you're going to score podiums in such a competitive 
block of teams behind Red Bull, then um, you've got to make the right calls at the right time. And, you know, a number of other drivers will point at the wrong call as the reason that they went on the podium. So um, so they got that right. And then, uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure because not only were the conditions very difficult, um, with Perez's five-second penalty hanging over him, Gasly had to make sure that he stayed within those five seconds. And, um, you know, he had to push and the conditions were bad. And, you know, it's such a tricky circuit. Uh, one tyre slightly out of line and, and you're in big trouble. So um, that was impressive. But I think more than anything else, um, both Alpine and Gasly really needed this result. Um, we know that there's been this huge upheaval uh, at the Belgian Grand Prix weekend where they got rid of team principal Otmar Safnauer mm-hmm. and sporting director Alan Permain. Uh, we also know that Gasly has kind of struggled to adapt a little bit to Alpine this year. You know, he looked so convincing at Alpha Tauri um, uh, previously. And, uh, you know, we all wanted him to get this second chance because, of course, he was at Red Bull before. As I mentioned, he was one of those drivers that was demolished by uh by um, Max Verstappen. And I think probably because he was in that role too early. Now he does seem like a fully mature driver, but something hadn't quite clicked this year with the Alpine compared to Esteban Ocon, who is also a driver that I rate um, quite highly. So uh, to to see him, you know, get the podium, uh, Ocon, of course, got a podium in Monaco in mixed conditions. Gasly got one in Zandvoort. And when you look at the performance of the Alpine car, which let's be honest, is not good enough this year compared to where they want to be and where they should be. um, You're going to have to rely on mixed conditions to, to take results. And the fact that they've done that the two races where where the, where the opportunity presented itself is very very good. So um, yeah, I'm I'm really pleased to see him back there because uh, whenever I think of Gasly, I also think of Monza here where he won for AlphaTauri, which was just such a fairy tale story. So um, yeah, uh, it's it, it's great to see him when he gets in those positions when something's really on the line. Um, I think ever since he had that time at Red Bull and then was dropped, he knows how important those moments are, and he goes and chases them. And as he proved in Zambor, he can get them. I think you put it um, nicely that the Frenchman got the pit stop right. Uh, the Italians, on the other hand, um, hate to bring it up. I feel like this is Groundhog's Day, deja vu. We have this conversation often. Poor Charles Leclerc. Obviously, his nightmare continues in the pits. What went through your all's minds when you saw that debacle? Yeah, I mean, deja vu is a, a good way of putting it. I think that's the, that's the mm-hmm. thing that's crazy about Ferrari is just it's just these these things just seem to continue continually happen and um you know there was a, a, another journalist kind of giggling along as as they showed the replay of the ferrari driver uh, guy coming out with a tire and almost falling over the you know the, the car um i don't know it's just it's just a painful point in ferrari's history isn't it coming up and you know i know that they come to monza with you know a new livery and they always talk about the history of stuff but it's really just it's difficult to get excited about where they're at but i think seeing that it just I feel like, and I, I, I don't know if you guys are the same, but I think all of the kind of the shock and the, and the frustration of last year has just gone, and it's now just accepted that this is kind of where <laughs> what Ferrari does on a regular basis. Now I feel like last year people were genuinely quite upset by all these things. Now it's it's almost become so routine. I think people are just kind of used to it. I do think yeah, that. Marks... Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say. I mean, there there was a kind of reason behind the Leclerc one in that. Um, the rain hit in that final corner and um, Ferrari, I don't think were, I mean, they, they should be more aware of it because the other teams were, but um, Leclerc was on, one that made the call. So he came into the pits and basically told them he was in the pits as he hit the, you know, the speed limits and went in. And so they had a very small amount of time to to react. And now, of course, you can say, you know, there were other teams that got it right. Uh, Perez nailed it, Gasly nailed it, and Alpine and Red Bull. But, you know, there, there was a slight reason for it. There was actually one later in the race where um, there was a fan video overlooking, I think it was the switch um, back onto intermediate tyres uh, at the end. And uh, science comes in. And again, you know, Ferrari are nowhere. There's tyres missing, stuff like that. And Perez comes in after science and leaves before him because Red Bull nailed their pit stop. So clearly there, there, there is a slight issue there. But, you know, I think you have to look a little bit at, at, at the reasons behind it. And the other thing is, if Leclerc had stayed out, you know, if they'd made the call which Mercedes made, for example, which was keep the drivers out, keep the drivers out, then Leclerc would have lost even more uh, places. And then, of course, yeah. the real reason that race went wrong was because he had uh, collided with Piastri on the opening lap and, and damaged his front wing, which then went on to damage his floor. So... You know, it's it's one of those things, but I, I remember saying uh, last podcast, with, with these teams now, if you're Ferrari, Aston Martin, Mercedes, um, McLaren, to some extent Alpine, it's it's small, tiny little things that are making big, big differences because they're so tightly matched. 
And um, yeah, it just does seem that uh, for Ferrari, it kind of kind of went against them. Then again, Carlos Sainz, you know, I think did a did a pretty good job salvaging uh, the position that he did. And um, I think if we're going to talk about um, messing up in that race, really the price goes to Mercedes because you know they they, they messed up their strategy and. Hamilton afterwards felt that he had a car capable of matching Max's pace. If you looked at some of the lap times just before they went back to uh, before the rain shower hit at the end, uh, he was actually doing that. So, you know, that, that, you know, that that's particularly galling when, when you've got a car that is clearly very quick and yet decisions you made early in the race uh, have put you out of position. There's a graphic online where the start happened on the starting grid first five laps. And then there shows a graph and a line from each driver to where they actually ended up by lap five Mercedes to your point, Lawrence, it was unbelievable. I just couldn't imagine that much happened in such a short amount of time, which obviously led to entertainment uh, as a viewer or a fan watching it. But I agree. I think Tifosi fans probably applauding at this moment, like, see, thank you for having our back a little bit here. But yeah, Mercedes fans, obviously not well, walking away from that weekend, feeling very happy about things. For Ferrari, Monza, obviously, this upcoming weekend, home race. Hopefully they get back in a position to fight for podiums. I thought Albon, Alex Albon was uh, impressive as well. He continues to be impressive in that Williams. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. I do want to get your all's thoughts on Liam Lawson and get an update on Daniel Ricardo if we have it after uh, his crash on Friday that led to a hand surgery. Where do we stand with Daniel Ricardo, Nate? Yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, it was it was really gutting to see Ricardo get that injury. Um, obviously, he just came back with such a you know, there's such good vibes around his return. Such an unlucky crash as well. It seems like his you know in that crash. Obviously, drivers try and take their hands away as quick as possible. He just hasn't been able to get it away as quickly as possible. The, what we were told is it was a, a broken, and I've got to get this right, because me and Lawrence kept talking about it all weekend, and I'm now struggling to remember the bone. Metacarpal, I think it is, in the hand. Yeah. And so he, he Are broke. Are you a doctor? No, well, I should be, apparently. Apparently, I missed my calling years ago. Kind of gutted <laughs> that 18-year-old me didn't study medicine, because that was... <laughs> If you're a patient right now, you'd be you'd be feeling you'd be feeling great about your chances of recovery. Um, but he broke that in a couple of places, one of his metacarpals, and obviously that you know as a Formula One driver, you know, that that is going to sideline you short term. He's obviously missing this weekend, from what I understand. So he's had surgery. Uh, he had surgery on Sunday. He's um, currently seeing a, a doctor called Javier uh Javier Mir I think is the way you pronounce the name and he's the guy who looked after Lance Stroll earlier this year and there's actually a video of Stroll seeing Ricardo in the paddock and you can actually hear them talking about that and he says oh look you know he's the best like let me put you in touch with him so I think he's you know he's he's in he's he's working with the absolute best in the in the business from what I understand Ricardo wants to come back as soon as he can obviously but Singapore is kind of the aggressive aim to come back but that's it's difficult to see that you know that's another two weeks away and it's such a difficult circuit for a driver to come back with so many turns it's you know if if you've got any doubts about your hand there I don't think you're going to come back but these I mean Christian Horner kept saying at the weekend he said for most people that would put you out for two three months you know with the with the specialists that are available for these guys and the fact that they're just Formula One drivers and they'll just do anything they can to get back racing four to six weeks does seem 
impossible to do. Problem Ricardo has is if he misses Singapore, you then Red Bull then has a decision: do they take Liam Lawson out of the car for Suzuka? Do you put Ricardo back in at short notice for Japan, which also isn't it isn't the easiest circuit again. But it but then you start asking yourself, well, what is an easy quote unquote circuit for somebody with a hand injury? So I think we'll see him back in the car pretty. Uh, pretty soon, but I think Lawson's got at least one more run with it, and he'll get a full weekend this weekend because you know the poor guy last week was dropped in and probably <laughs> probably the most unenviable debut anyone's had for a long time. Rain for his first practice session at a Zanvoort circuit that is it's so much down to rhythm. You've you've got to be so with those banked corners and just the way that circuit kind of um, flows around. You've got to have so much confidence in it. He had rain in the practice session. He then qualified last on the Saturday, which I don't think was. Yeah, I don't think anyone would have expected much more from him. But he actually he he raced pretty well in those conditions. And there's actually a great video of him overtaking Max uh, at one point, just after Max has switched back. I think at the end on back onto um, uh, I think back onto intermediate tires. And Christian Horner said there was a moment where he he could see this rookie on his debut passing Max and was thinking, okay, let's just <laughs> let's just make sure this kid gets past him. Okay, but you know he 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 didn't put any he didn't put a foot wrong and he was thirteenth. So I think he did a good job and. You know, if if you're Red Bull, you kind of hope Liam Lawson at this point gives you a bit of a headache going into the end of the season because if he performs very well, they'll then have three drivers: Sonoda, Ricardo, and Lawson, and obviously only two roles really there for them next year, um, and that becomes really interesting. So I expect to see Ricardo back in the car, but Lawson has a great opportunity to just underline why he should be in there. And by all accounts, everyone in the team was really impressed with him. You know, he turned up. And what was funny as well um, was on the on the Friday, I went into. I had a meeting at Red Bull, went up to the bar at the hospitality. This is where it sounds like we just go on a jolly every every week of our lives in this job. Went up to the bar, ordered a nice latte, and Liam Lawson was right next to me. Um, and I, I, I've got to confess, I've never spoken to Liam Lawson before. I, you know, I've, I've followed him when he's been in junior categories, but I've never properly sat and I've not been in a press session with him. I was kind of looking at it, and I realized that they'd served me before they'd served Liam Lawson. And he was kind of timidly sat at the bar. He, but he was also, he just wasn't being rude about it. He was just waiting for his turn. And then 24 hours later, you know, he was he was in the car driving. I just thought it was funny how, you know, he he was kind of sat there, you know, timidly waiting. But a lot of the time it is like that for young drivers. You know, they're attached to a team and they're known around the place, but they're obviously not known as a race driver. They're just one of the young kids that's there. So um, great opportunity for him to establish himself. Um, and I think that it'll be interesting to see how he does here, because obviously Nick DeVries last year really impressed at Monza. Monza that ended up getting, yeah, getting that Alpha Tauri seat. And it's probably... A circuit where he'll be much more familiar with it from his junior career. He'll have raced there a lot more. Um, and yeah, I think a really good opportunity for him to kind of get his feet under the table. And if he can, you know, if he can match or beat Sonoda at Monza, I think it's a really, a really good step. So good to see Lawson in the car and hopefully Ricardo's back sooner, uh, sooner rather than later. Lawrence, do you think that Lawson's result stems from brushing shoulders with Paddock royalty uh, the day before being put in the car? <laughs> it must be. It must be. Yeah. It's like, well, whatever was in these uh, those ice lattes that Nate had ordered, and I hope, I hope you gave him yours, Nate. I hope you offered it to him. Uh, well, next time I will. <laughs> next time <laughs> I have to. Now he's an F1 is, driver. You're like, oh, next time oh. I don't think I'll get served. I don't think I'll get served anywhere near him. That's the problem. So, um, I think if there's ever a book to be written in years to come, Liam Lawson, multiple race winner. I think I think there's going to be a mention in there. He's like, I'll never forget the shame <laughs> of being served <laughs> second, and it spurred me on. It was the it was the moment in my career that drove me on. Okay. On that note, we're going to hit our Monza race preview, shall we? Uh, obviously, we we hit at the top that Max Verstappen is going for his 10th consecutive race win. Um, our SIG at ESPN put together an unbelievable list of 15 F1 records that Max could potentially break this season with nine races left on the calendar. I mean, it's outrageous. You got most consecutive wins, most wins when taking lead on the final lap, mm -hmm. most wire to wire wins in a season, most hat tricks in a season, most grand slams. And if you want me to stop, then he should stop because his performance this season has been bonkers. You guys have this list in front of you. I'm just curious of the records that he could possibly break as we move forward into the latter part of this season. Like, Which one would you quantify as maybe the, the most impressive or something that you'd be like, wow, that's a, that's a big deal that people should keep an eye on. Well, if he he already has the most wins in a season, and uh, he needs five more from nine uh, to break his own record, which already broke the record held by Vettel and Schumacher, he did that in Mexico last year, or he suddenly equaled it there, or maybe broke it there. And so, you know, most wins in a season that that is a you know it's a big deal because again, it's that consistency. 
But then again, like if, if he gets this one this weekend, the consecutive wins, um, for somebody else to beat that, because I feel like in maybe like 10 years time, we could have 30 races in a year, in which case most wins in a season kind of, you know, it's all relative to how many races there are. But consecutive wins, that con- that consistency throughout, you need such a competitive car and you need such a competitive driver. You need a driver, again, like I was saying earlier, has a dominance over his teammate. And yeah, I think that would be, that it's kind of obvious because it's right at the top of the list, but I think that one probably is the most impressive. Nate, do you I have a difference? No, I, I was going to say that the one thing, so if you look at Vettel's record in 2013, the one thing that stopped that was the end of the season and the fact that in 2014 there was a, a massive rule change and then Red Bull really fell down the pecking order and Mercedes came up again. So you wonder, had had that you know had that season rolled over into another year where Red Bull had the same car, would, would Vettel have had a longer record? Verstappen doesn't have that. This is happening right in the middle of the second year of this of this rule cycle, uh, and and Horner was actually asked about it on the Sunday. He said, "You know, is this are we going to be talking about an eighteen consecutive win streak by the end of the year?" Which I think would be what it is, roughly. You know, uh, I think it's eighteen, maybe seventeen. And that question would have been completely ridiculous even a few weeks ago. But having seen how he's winning all these races now, it starts to sound like it could be something he does. So I think if this consecutive win record gets broken, it's super impressive. But it's it's what he leaves it on, which will be amazing. I think the laps led in a season as well. I mean, needs 111 more. He could move halfway towards that this weekend if he you know, if he leads every every lap of the race. Um, and stuff like that is so impressive because 111, it says here, uh, 111 more from, I think, Lawrence, you said nine more races left. You know, mm. he could he could completely obliterate that record if you think about him leading wire to wire start to finish with all these races so it's you know take your pick of all of those i mean any of them you know most fastest laps in the season i mean now now there's points available for those as well so you know he's just he's just scoring points whenever he can um yeah it's it's mad and i think um and fair play to the to the sig team for putting that together because it just shows you and that's and that's records he could he could break the records he has broken already this year and in the last few years have been super impressive so i'd agree with lawrence i think the consecutive wins and the most wins in a season um, but it's just mad. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he broke ten of the fifteen on that on that list because he just he's just in such a different Easily. place right now. Yeah, he's also on pace. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's on pace to finish every single lap. I think so. Currently, right? yeah, that would that would currently. That would, he that he would has completed sense. every single. He's completed every single lap this year, um, which is which is a very rare thing. Uh, the the other one which I want to see, uh, and I don't think it's on our list, but he must be in contention for it. His highest percentage of wins in a season, because then you do away with the oh well, there's more you know races now than there used to be, because it's just the percentage of the amount of races available he he's won. So at the moment, the leader in that is Alberto Ascari from 1952. There were only eight races, but he won six of them, and actually one of those was the Indy 500, which he didn't take part in. So that could arguably be even higher. Terrible uh, Michael Schumacher, like bringing it up to the modern era, seventy-two point two two percent in two thousand and four, having won thirteen of eighteen races. Now that I think, you know, if if Max continues on this on this route, he must be in contention for. Um, certainly, I mean, if he wins the rest of the races, then he absolutely has got it. Um, and so that would be an, an incredibly impressive one because it does away with you know um, all of the well, there's more races now, and therefore it's easier to lead more laps and all that kind of stuff. And it puts it down to a pure percentage thing. So um, that would be interesting. And currently on that list, Max Verstappen is fifth uh, with last year's uh, championship where he won 68.18% of the races, which was 15 and 22. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could do a whole podcast. Certainly at the end of this year, we probably should do a whole podcast on those kind of stats because they are fascinating. And then, of course, yeah, you know, trying to add a bit of context for what was going on in each championship and and uh, in each season and in each era of Formula One. Because, you know, that Jim Clark is also up there third with 70% from 1963. But in an era when, um, like Alberto Ascari, where one mistake uh, won't just put you out of the race, it will actually, you know, could end your life, um, uh, you know, and did happen regularly. So uh, that's all context as well. But, yeah, fascinating uh, some of these records to, to see where he fits in. It truly is. Only two drivers in history have finished every race lap in a season. That was Schumacher in 2002 and then Lewis Hamilton in 2019. I feel like that's more of a a nod to the team, obviously from a reliability standpoint, but also just like you can never take a lap off. Like no mistake has really been made that has compromised his performances week in and week out. It's just 
truly clinical, uh, what we're seeing from Max Verstappen. So obviously we'll be uh, on the lookout, these guys on the ground in Monza as he goes for that 10th consecutive win. Yeah, because I, say, I think Checo has finished every race this year, but the one in Monaco, he finished two laps down. So there's an example where he hasn't actually finished yeah. every lap because he, he missed out. And I think Fernando and Lewis Hamilton have both scored points every race. And therefore, unless one of those races, they were a lap down already. I think they're the two drivers who are also on so far finishing every every lap of the season. But you're absolutely right, Katie. That is very much a team achievement because, uh, you know, so much goes into, into building these cars and one component goes wrong. Um, you know, uh, it, even, you know, the cheapest components in the car sometimes have a devastating effect on reliability. So, um, yeah, that is, that's impressive as well. I was just going to jump in, sorry to, to labor the point on Max, but obviously doing so well right now, um, this podcast. Belabor away, belabor yeah. away. Um, I thought what was really interesting from Christian Horner's session on Sunday, obviously friend of the podcast. Can we call him that at this point, Christian Horner? I think so. Uh, he was asked, you know, how much of this, he um, was a German journalist, Christian Manath, uh, one of our friends and, you know, been in, in the game for a long time. He said, you know, when Lewis was winning, when Seb was winning, a lot of people say, you know, a lot of it's down to luck. These guys get lucky because they're out in front and no one comes near them. How much of what Max is doing is luck and how much of it is him managing the race? And and Christian said, you know, one of the things that's so impressive about Max now is when you've got this great car, you know, he knows he's got to bring it home to the finish. And I remember Lewis used to say how how much he would he would think about the you know the mileage of his engine and his car when he was dominating. He knew he didn't need to push it all the time. And I think we're seeing the growth of Max as well in that. You know, he's obviously the team's doing such a great job as well, but he's not he's not trying to win every race on lap one. You know, he knows the car he's got at his disposal. And the Max of now compared to a few years ago, you know, the the growth personally for him has been huge. And I think that that is probably playing just as big a part as anything right now in it because he's he's driving in the fashion he needs to to win all these races which i think is it's easy to, it sounds easy to do but it takes a lot of mental strength to do that um especially when you know most of us assume he's going to win the championship you know he is going to win the championship at some point it must be easy to take your foot off that pedal and kind of lose that focus but it was just you know managing the race in such a way obviously he's going to get lucky at points and and any great driver gets lucky but i think a lot of what looks like luck is actually you know, a lot of preparation, a lot of risk management. I think Max is doing that really well right now. So, yeah, there's just so many things going into, you know, what's making him successful right now. Okay, can I just throw one last thing into this conversation uh, to do with the reliability? The engines at the moment, I mean, this is not to take away from Max necessarily or, or the job that he does, but the engines at the moment are frozen. So there aren't any development upgrades coming to, uh, to, to these engines in terms of performance. It's all just reliability. You're allowed to change stuff for reliability. So, if you look at the time when Lewis was, uh, you know, I, I springs to mind Malaysia 2016, which basically cost him that championship. That was a catastrophic engine failure that he really had no part in. But it was also a time when uh, Mercedes, like everyone else, was really pushing the limits in terms of uh, bringing, bringing stuff to the engine. So I would say there is, I mean, it's not really luck. It's just... It's just knowing the you know the context in which some of these records are set. Uh, but I think at the moment, one of the reasons we do see uh, at least three drivers, nearly four, uh, possibly more, I haven't checked all of them, uh, finishing every lap of the season so far is because the engine, which of course, when it goes wrong, that's a game over, um, isn't under development at the moment. It is, it is frozen and that does lead to uh, these long periods of reliability. Anyway, that's probably enough, enough record chat, isn't it, for... <laughs> We've dragged him down again. We've built him up. We've dragged him down. I think we've done a good job. Very, it's very, been very rounded in that sense. But the main takeaway is Max is amazing. And, you know, there's no fluking nine victories in a row. I want to make that absolutely clear. But, um, yeah, the reliability factor, I think, you know, you've got to, you've got to look at the context of the season as well. Lovely job summarizing the conversation. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. 
Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right. I want to look at Monza. Obviously, we mentioned that this is Ferrari's home race. They haven't had a podium here since Leclerc's win in 2019. You obviously mentioned, Lawrence, that sign salvaged P5 at Zanvoort. Leclerc obviously didn't have the same kind of fate. You mentioned Mercedes struggles. One team we didn't mention on the weekend was McLaren. So of those three teams, you've got Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren. Nate, I'll start with you. Who do you feel like needs to have a bigger weekend in Monza? I think it's got to be Ferrari. You know, this is their home race, Monza, the Tifosi. And, you know, we're, we're just talking about the great vibes there was in Zandvoort for Max, his home race. You know, you always feel coming to Ferrari, there's just always added attention on them. They've got a, a, a new color scheme, a new livery on their car this weekend. It's a nod to them winning the Le Mans 24 hours. Um, and they always try and do something around Monza. And it is such a special place as well. You know, it, it it's kind of synonymous with Ferrari. It's one of those rare sporting occasions where the event is synonymous with a team. So, Ferrari is always under the microscope. And I think as well, just given given the fact that they're coming there and Max is going for this record as well, I feel like there's just, you know, you feel like I don't think Ferrari is going to beat them, you know, is going to stop Max getting that record on a normal day. But you want the story to be Max got the, the record, but also there was a Ferrari driver or two on the podium with him. You know, that's in the context of the season, that's a pretty good story. It might be a bit far-fetched because obviously Perez is still in the game and McLaren and Mercedes are, are in a really good spot. But yeah, you just feel that, Ferrari right now, I think they need a feel-good story. Um, and I think that McLaren had enough kind of goodwill coming into the summer break. I think that they're in a good place. Mercedes, I mean, they had a bad race, but, you know, I think the pace is clearly there, whereas I think, you know, globally speaking, Ferrari is probably in a bit more of a mess. So coming into the home race has got to be them, I'd say. Do you agree, Lawrence, or would you put more onus on Mercedes or McLaren? No, I think this is, this is the pressure is all on Ferrari this weekend. Okay. Um just because they've had such a poor season up to this point, um, not just in the performance of the car, which hasn't been good, but also just realizing results. Uh, there have been occasions when the cars look quick, and I'm kind of optimistic that actually the Ferrari could be quite quick here. It was good in Canada. They didn't quite get the result. Remember, we had that wet qualifying session where they made the wrong choice with the tyres, but the car in the race was actually genuinely fast. And if you're going to compare like one relatively low downforce track with another, a uh, fairly good comparison is Canada to Monza. So I'm kind of hopeful that there's something there. And they've also been saying uh, for a few weeks now that they've got some updates coming. They'll definitely have Monza-specific updates. So I'm hoping that they've kind of put a little bit more kind of Marinella magic into, into those in the hope that they can secure something. Um, and then also for a bit of historical uh, kind of, I don't know uh, what the word is, but just, just for a bit of historical context, Last time a team was going to win every single race of the season was in 1988, and it was McLaren. And the team that beat them and the, won one single race that season was um, Ferrari at Monza. Um, and it, yeah. uh, and it was uh, you know it was kind of it was an important race because it happened not long after the death of uh, Enzo Ferrari, uh, the founder of Ferrari. Um, and I just feel like you know in such a miserable season for Ferrari, uh, you know it would it would almost kind of be fitting that they uh, they take a victory here. Um, not that I don't want to see Max get this record, but it, I probably would rather see a Ferrari win at Monza. <laughs> and I think... I think Lawrence and I have both been lucky that we've seen Ferrari win at Monza. I, th I think I saw Charles win here in 2019 as a journalist, but I, I went with my dad to Monza in 2006, saw mm. what was Schumacher's penultimate win. And that, I mean, if you talk about special moments in 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 racing... Ferrari winning at Monza, there's just something about it. You know, the crowd, the, everyone who's there goes down the main straight. I don't think the podium is the same if Ferrari haven't won it. It's that famous podium that overlooks it. And I'll never forget looking up at the podium and Schumacher was right there. I was about 15 years old. And at that point, you felt like, well, this guy's just going to keep winning forever. You know, he'd, he'd not won the championship before and he was fighting Alonso for that year's championship. But it's as close to, you know, when people say a sporting event was magical, that was what it felt like then. And I think that that is probably the biggest regret and sadness about Ferrari right now is I think that some of that magic has kind of waned off in this in this drought period they've got. It's not going to come back this weekend. It's not just going to, you know, magically come back. But I think that's where Ferrari's long-term ambition needs to be is to 
it's the team is obviously iconic and it's famous, but turning Monza into a place where you know it, it feels like it's kind of a you know a pilgrimage to see Ferrari race. Yeah. I think it's I, for me personally. I think it's lost a bit of that because they just haven't. It's not like they dominated there like they did in the Schumacher uh, in the Schumacher days. Um, but again, perception in sport can be can be so important, um, and that's why you know strong weekend here, you know, strong finish to the season, and you know the the whole narrative around the team starts to starts to change. So great great place for them to kind of flip that around. I think. But you guys are messing up my mind. Oh, so, sorry, Katie. Um, I just just while like... we're on the sub- subject of 2005, uh, because I just feel like we're about to move <laughs> off it. That was the race of Michael Schumacher. Sorry, 2006 Italian Grand Prix. That was the race Schumacher announced his retirement. It Nate, was. As a fan, were you aware of that afterwards? Do you remember people talking about it? Because he yeah. was basically retiring from the very top at the time. Yeah, so the first person who told us, uh, told us that Schumacher had retired from racing effective immediately, so he'd quit on the spot. Uh, and obviously he still had two races um, left in the championship or through it. So we were like, that sounds quite unlikely. Um, <laughs> and we got a bus back and everyone was talking about Kimi. Everyone was saying, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, Kimi Raikkonen. Um, so by the, I think by the time we got back to the airport, we knew that Raikkonen was in. And this the days before Twitter and the days before wow. breaking news, but everyone kind of knew it was Kimi. And I remember we landed and we drove back. Uh, and we got in really, really late to my house. Uh, and on the radio, the BBC announced Kimi Raikkonen is going to replace Schumacher and we got back to find that my sister had gone to a um this is this is going somewhere I, I promise she they'd gone to a, a cat shelter that that weekend and she'd brought back this sickly kitten that my mum had basically been looking after and as a punishment for my, my sister bringing this back without permission she said well your brother can name him and my sister was like no 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 you can't let he'll give it a stupid name so I walked in was told I had power to name this cat named him Kimmy and Kimmy lived the ripe old age of 16, but he was named that weekend because when I came back to start with, I was like, well, Shumi would be a good name, but he's kind of, you know, he's on the way out. So Kimmy's the new man. So that was how we remembered the age of Kimmy. I would always just think, well, Monza 2006 and then add on whatever's left. So we did find out and, you know, a cat's, a cat's whole life was ruined because of it because I had to give him the name. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I don't know sorry. if I'd say ruined. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, he had a great innings. And and it's a I I think it's a good it's a good name for a cat or dog. So if anyone listening wants to steal it for your next pet, you have my blessing. Time for <laughs> predictions. I for a second, Katie, right. you lost for words of what to say next. You're like, we're done. <laughs> kind of, kind of. That's just the flipping of the page is my my pivot here <laughs> to predictions. Uh McLaren forked me in Zanvort. So um I really need to bring my A game. You guys mess with my mind. Lawrence had me leaning. <laughs> Maybe I should put a Ferrari on the podium. Then Nate, you came in and made me think that they lost all their magic and luster. So I'm not starting. Nate, you can start and um with Kimmy on the mind, hopefully. Yeah, cat. yeah. Can I just put Kimmy the cat on the podium? Yeah. Um, no. Well, I think we all did fairly badly, Katie. I think we only, you know, we all... We only we all got Max. We all got the gimme, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't get the rest. So I'm going to say Max gets the 10th win. I'm sure. I'm sure all yeah. of us will. Um, I don't know. I think, I think I'm going to put Perez in second because, you know, he didn't have the best result. But I think we're, we're starting to see that Perez is... He's getting over the worst of what was happening to him at the start of the year. He's still making some mistakes, but mm-hmm. you know the mistake he made uh, at the end of the race was in the rain. I'm, I'm, I don't think the forecast currently has that. Um, he was obliterated by Max on pace, but actually, I think there's just been a step up from him. I don't think it's been, I don't think it's been big enough to call it impressive. But I'd put him in second. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow up with what I was saying about Ferrari and Monza being a magical place. I'm gonna put Science in third. I'm gonna put uh-huh. Charles there because I think Science. Science just seems to be a bit more comfortable with the car at the moment. And I'd love to see a Ferrari get up there. Um, so yeah, Verstappen, Perez, Science. Love it. Okay. Solid picks there. So you did go with the Ferrari. Interesting. All right, Lawrence. I did, yeah. What say you? Okay. I I'm I'm bored of just picking Max the whole time. And I know it's gonna ruin his 10 if he doesn't get it, but I'm sure he'll get that at another point in his career, probably the following <laughs> 10 races. So I'm gonna go with Charlotte Clerk to break. The Red oh, Bull nice. victories, as Ferrari did to McLaren in 1988, followed by, I mean, this will never happen, but anyway, uh, followed by Sergio Perez. I'm, I'm saying something happens to Max. Like, I, I think if Max is actually in the race, then he's going to win it. But I'm assuming he has a reliability issue or something like that. Uh, right. And then, so yeah, Leclerc, Perez, and then Lewis Hamilton in third. Wow. Well, that that's a race. Fun. 
that's a race I want to see. <laughs> that's For sure. Like, that'd be amazing. He does this though. Yeah, I mean, he, he every creates... now and again, I try and pick one like that. Yeah. I like it. I just, I just think it's just so difficult to say anything but Max, but I, I respect where you're going. People listening to this are going to think Max, uh, Max insulted Lawrence at the weekend or something. Cause he's kind of, there's been, there's been a bit of like, no, you know, he could win, but maybe he won't. <laughs> Um, no, no, you know, I, I just I I would like Lawson to see a more competitive season. <laughs> I should put Liam Lawson third. Maybe that's <laughs> that, that I would like. Okay, to <laughs> let's not get out of hand here. Back to reality. <laughs> yeah, back to reality. Um, I wish I had the luxury of doing what Lawrence is doing, predicting a race that I would like to see. Um, I am too far behind in the points. And do you like that I've stopped updating our lovely listeners and viewers I, on the standings? I noticed that. I didn't want to say anything, but. <laughs> <laughs> Zach actually needs to help me uh, get that back on track. Anyways, I don't have that luxury, so I'm going to go with Max Verstappen to take the win, followed by – I went with Lando Norris, I believe, last week. I'm going to do it again because I do feel like the McLaren has been strong on straights. Right, Lawrence? Can Decent, decent, decent. Uh, it actually hasn't. No, it actually hasn't. But they are bringing a Monza low-down force spec kind of wing and everything. So they're good great. in slow t- corners? No, they're not. They're not. That's actually that's the they're, one thing they're they're good in high speed yeah. corners. So I don't think it's going to... Grab the episode. I, I burned it <laughs> to the ground. But but, but Katie, also, also remember, every time I say this about a team, they go and do the opposite yeah, this thing is, in the race Katie, anyway. This, so. this is... This is how he gets us. This is how he gets us. He suckers yeah. us in by... You go um, for Lando. He's go for I'm the, brainy, off, I'm the brainy one of the pod. No. <laughs> it's all... Okay. It's, it's all a red herring. Always a red herring. If you're listening, I just did a job describing McLaren and their car. Um, but I'm still going to pick Landon Morris in second. And third, ooh, I'm going to I'm gonna go with Charles Leclerc. I'm going to put a, a Ferrari up there. You've so sold me on. one Ferrari on a podium. One Ferrari. Like yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, completely, we're completely bought on the magic then. That's good. We are. We are sellouts. And I hope that we see it. I hope that the two of you eat as much pizza as you possibly can. You drink tons and tons of wine. I am unbelievably jealous, as is our viewers and listeners, that you are in Italy right now. Enjoy what I hope is another fascinating and entertaining race. And we will, of course, be back next week to unlap it all. I actually like the sound of that. Goodbye. Goodbye.